Well, today we're kind of walking into, we've already talked a little bit about it today, we're walking into a season of giving, right? So like Christmas is just around the corner. I know that's hard to believe, but there's no question that, that time just keeps on rolling. It gets faster and faster. And by the way, the older that you get, the quicker that it goes. Do you, do you agree with me? Are you older people in the room, right? I mean, it seems like yesterday I was 25. Uh, this morning I sent a text to my daughter. And uh, I was picking her up early this morning to bring her into church. And, and so I texted her and she said, I'll be right down. And so then I sent her, you know, one of those things, the, the emoji things, you know, that you've got on your phones or I guess they call them memojis now, where it's like kind of this, this character image of you, like a little, you know, cartoon image. And so I sent her one and I picked out one that was really cool. It was one that I thought that was like really good because it was like this, this guy that was like good looking and he was young and he had red hair. And so I sent her, and I sent her that, that picture this morning with a thumbs up, like it was me. And then, of course, my son is quick to point out, dude, you don't have red hair anymore. It's gone. And so, man, time just keeps on rolling, right? And we're walking into this season of, uh, of Christmas. It's just around the corner. And we know that, man, we're in a time when, when we, we're focused on giving. We're focused on Christmas shopping. Next week, it's going to be an amazing time because what's going to happen is we're going to have this wonderful moment of Thanksgiving that will be quickly stopped, abbreviated, and changed by Black Friday. You know what I'm talking about. Where everything shifts gears because we're going to be focused on buying and spending and making sure that we're getting all the right gifts for the right people, making sure we're checking off all the things on our list and all those things that, that, that just come along with life. And so today what I want to talk about, I want to spend some time focused on, is this idea of giving. Like this idea of what it really means to be a person who understands Giving, And so what I've done today is I've, I've kind of titled this sermon, uh, A Season of Giving for a Lifetime of Living. And so we're going to talk about this. And I want to start today, before we get into the passage we're going to walk to in just a moment. But I want to start in a different verse. And it's kind of a key verse for us today. It's kind of a, a verse that, that I want to focus on a little bit. And we're going to come back to it towards the end of our sermon. But it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. And it says these words, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, God loves someone who loves to give. That's the whole thought behind that verse. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 tells us, Moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful. Now, you've heard me share with you before that that verse talks about stewards. And what is that, that idea of steward? When you look at the Greek there, that word steward literally means manager. That, that we in our lives, everything that we have, everything we've been given, uh, that it doesn't belong to us, it belongs to God. And we are required by God to be good managers of all that He has placed into our hands. And yet we live in a world today where so many people don't give. Where so many people today are caught up in this idea that I want more, I want more, and when you get it, you're going to hang on to it, and you're going to stuff it in your pockets, and you're going to stuff it into your bank accounts, or, or stuck, stuff it under your pillows, or whatever it might be, that you want to hang on to everything. And what ends up happening is when we're so focused on getting and not giving, it changes our demeanor. It reminds me of a story I heard not long ago of this guy who throughout his entire life, like he just had this idea that he wanted to save as much as he could. He was someone who was selfish and someone who was stingy. He would barely spend any money on his family. He would barely spend any money doing anything. And so from the time that he was very young, 
that every time that he would get a paycheck, he would quickly, he would pay his bills, and then he would take all the rest of the money, he would stick it in a lockbox underneath his bed. And he did this from the time that he first started working. And he just kept stacking cash into that, that lockbox. He put more and more to the point that eventually he had to get more lockboxes. And, and he just got money after so much money. It was all under his bed, all locked away, and it was all safe under his bed. And he wanted it to be there so he could keep an eye on it. Well, m- later in life, he got to the place where the doctor told him that he was going to die. That his life would soon be over. And that just angered him more. It made him more selfish and more stingy, more greedy, and he just wanted to put more as much as he possibly could into those boxes. And then when he got towards the end of his life, he told his wife, now I want you to listen to me, he said. He said, now when I die, that money, I've been saving that money, I've been working hard for that money, that's my money, and when I die, I want you to make me one promise. And she said, well, what is it? And he said, I want you to take that money, and I want you to put that money in the casket with me when I die. I want you to bury me with that money. And she looked at him, and even though it hurt her, she said, well, honey, I'll do exactly as you promised. You told me to do it. I'll promise you I'll put the money into your casket. Not long after that, he died. And when he died, the funeral home came and collected his body and took him back to the funeral home. They got him in the casket. And the day of the funeral, before the funeral came around, that that, that wife did exactly what she promised to do. She went underneath the bed, and she pulled all, all of that cash out, all of those boxes. And she took it all, and she drove down to the funeral home, And she put it all into the the coffin with him, and they buried him. And you're saying, well, that's kind of a stupid story. Well, it is, because I left out one little point. The one little point is this. On the way to the funeral home that day, she stopped by the bank, deposited all her cash into her checking account, and then she just wrote him a personal check and put the check into the casket. (laughs) That makes more sense, doesn't it? She fulfilled the promise, but she got the cash. I mean, uh, now listen, a lot of us in life are kind of like, we look at that story and we think of that guy, like, man, he was awful, he was horrible, what a terrible person, but yet in, in context of our own lives, that's what a lot of us do. Because what we do is we work hard, and when we work hard, God blesses us in our hard work, but then what we do is we buy into this idea in the culture that money, that we earn that money, it's our money, we're going to hang on to it, and it does not matter what God wants us to do with the resources he puts into our hands because it's ours. And man, we're going to hang on to it. We're going to hold on tight. And today we're going to talk about what does it mean and what does God require of us as it relates to the idea of giving. Now let's read from this passage in Malachi chapter 3. It begins with verse uh, verse 8. And it says these words, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? God answers that question with this. In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And so in this passage, there's this conversation that is going on, this this conversation between man and God, and the conversation is God speaking to man, saying, have you robbed me? Have you not, like, been robbing me? And, of course, the man looking at God is answering, how how have we robbed you? Seriously, God, how have we robbed you? We certainly have not been doing that. And then God answers, in tithes and offerings, he says in this passage. Now, when you look in this passage, you look at that word, talking about the word tithes, that's the uh, Hebrew word, uh, padekatol, which literally means to pay a tenth. 
Now, we know what a tithe is. A tithe is a, a tenth of, of what we have earned, a tenth of our giving. You go back into the Old Testament, all the way back to the Mosaic Law, and even before that, and the picture is constantly seen throughout that passage, through all the different passages of Scripture, where it was required of people that they would give to God, to bless God for the blessings that God had poured out in their lives, to give back to Him the first portion of what God had blessed them with. That when they grew their crops, the first tenth of those crops were to go to God. When God blessed them in any way, that the first tenth would go to God. Why? To recognize and to celebrate the fact that it is all God's and God has poured out his blessings on us. In fact, when you keep reading that passage and it talks about, hey, test me on this, God says. Like, like you give, you give as I've asked you to give. And, and will I not pour out the windows of heaven? Open the floodgates of heaven, that passage says. Now, when you look at that idea, that phrase, the floodgates of heaven, it's used nine times in the Hebrew Bible, and it talks every single time about this massive opening, this gap in the wall of a house. In fact, it's also used back in Genesis chapter 7 and Genesis chapter 8 when the heavens opened up and the rains came that flooded the entire earth. The exact same word is used. So in other words, what God is saying here is will I not open up the floodgates of heaven to bless you if you are faithful in your giving, just as I opened up the floodgates of heaven to flood the entire earth back in Noah's flood. And so we see the picture here. We see the dynamic that God expects us to be people who are faithful in our giving. God expects us to be people who recognize the importance of being faithful in recognizing everything that God has given to us. 100% of it is, is owned by God. It belongs to God. And God just simply expects us to bless Him back by giving a tenth, a 10% of what He's blessed us with. And there's no question, there's no doubt that God tests us. He checks our faithfulness as it relates to our giving. In fact, Rick Warren said this. He said, the Bible is very clear. God uses money to test your faithfulness as a servant. That's why Jesus talked more about money than he did about either heaven or hell. In fact, if you look through the New Testament, through the Gospels, out of the 39 parables that Jesus shared and taught as he walked on this earth, 11 of them have to do with money because he recognized that money is something that we all struggle with. That money is something that is, it very quickly uh, pulls us away from faithfulness. That money is something that can trip us up because we love money. We love to have stuff. We want stuff. If you don't believe me, go out next Friday right after Thanksgiving and go check out and see how many people have been camping out in front of Best Buy the night before. That they're out there with their little tents and their sleeping bags waiting to save $20 or $30 on a big screen TV that, as it goes on sale on Friday morning. Or actually, as most places now, don't even wait till Friday morning. They open up like at 11 o'clock or midnight on Thanksgiving night. I mean, this world that we live in is all about stuff. And so today what I want to talk to you about is how stuff should not own you about how stuff should not be what drives your life, how stuff should not be what is the most important thing. And the only way to combat the selfishness, the greed that we all naturally have is to be a person who gives. And so today I just want to share with you the idea of what does God expect from us as it relates to giving. Now, Matthew chapter 6 
Jesus said, don't store up for yourself treasures in heaven where they can be destroyed, like moth and rust can corrupt and destroy. Rather, lay up treasures in heaven. You know that passage, right? So there's no doubt, there's no question that what Jesus expects from us, what he wants from us is people who give. So let's just kind of walk through, what does the Bible tell us about giving? The first thing we get, we've already talked a little bit about it, is this, is that God wants us to give. God wants every single one of us to give. Look what it says in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, Paul writing, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. Verse 2, on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collection when I come. Now you look at that verse, that passage that I just read. Paul writing here again under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So let me just give you this like clear statement here. If you believe that the Bible is God's word, if you believe that it's inspired by God, that it's inerrant, it's infallible, that God breathed out his word. While Paul wrote these words, he wrote these words exactly as God intended them. Now let's go back to the passage. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia. Now, God spoke it very clear. I have given an order to the church. You must give. And then, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside. So in other words, on the first day of the week, hey, quick pop quiz, what's the first day of the week? Sunday, that's right. Sunday is the first day of the week. And so God's word says, hey, every first day of the week, lay something aside for God. Recognize the value of God. Recognize the blessings of God. Recognize God expects you to be a person who gives. Now you say, well, wait a minute, like, but what does Jesus say about that? Well, let's go back, Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, he says these words, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now you notice he put all three of those descriptors right there together, scribes, Pharisees, which you know are religious leaders, and then with it, he added on another descriptor, hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. Listen to these words. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. In other words, Jesus is recognizing that the Pharisees have been so specific and so particular in their giving. So here's what they did. So, for instance, if uh, a Pharisee or a scribe had the opportunity... And there's none there. Hold up. This is not working well. Here we go. So they were, they were blessed by God to have, um, they were given like three cards, right? And so Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, because you have been given three cards. And you are so faithful to take those three cards. And as you look at these three cards, you think, well, wait a minute now. At that size right there, I need to give a tenth of all that God has blessed me with. I need to give a tithe. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to rip off a tenth of one, and a tenth of another, and a tenth of the third. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep these. But these three, which are now a tenth of all that God has blessed me with, I'm going to take these and I'm going to put them into the church. I'm going to give them to God. I'm going to bless Him because this is what God has commanded of me, to give the tithe. So you, Rob, you're now an usher. God bless you. Don't stand up. Just sit down. There you go. There's my tenth. You got it? Okay, now, the Pharisees gave their tenth, and then here's what they did next. You're a jerk. You're not a nice guy. 
Don't you? I, listen, I'm better than you. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is saying, listen, you've been faithful in the little, right? You've been faithful in the giving. But man, you've not been acting right. You've not been treating people right. You've not been doing... Uh, sorry about the cards there. Here you go. So uh, I'm not... You've not been doing all the things that you're supposed to do. Now you say, well, that makes sense, right? So God wants us to be faithful in giving, but he also wants to be faithful in treating people correctly and being a person who understands justice and our faith and mercy. Yes, absolutely. But then listen to what Jesus said. The giving, yes, you should do. There are some people that today that say Jesus never taught us in the New Testament that we should tithe. Matthew 23, verse 23. These you ought to have done. No question. There's no doubt. Yes, Jesus wants us to be faithful in our giving. Yes, Jesus wants to, to, to be the kind of person who recognizes the importance, the value of being a giver. We cannot allow ourselves to buy into the lie that we, the stuff that we have, it's ours. It is not yours. So like whatever money you have in your bank account, God has given that to you. The cars that you drive today, God has given them to you. The houses that you live in today, God has given that to you. Everything that you have, the clothes on your back, God has given it to you. And you say, wait a minute now, these clothes, come on, these are mine, these are no big deal. Yeah, go to places like other, some places, some in Africa, where they don't have any clothes. Places where they don't have cars. Places where, for a penny, I mean, that's like a big, big deal. And yet when we walk by, we see a penny on the ground. Depending on whether we pick it up or not, it depends on how good we feel that day. Like my back's hurting, now I'm not going to pick that penny up, right? We, we do that kind of stuff. Man, God has blessed us with so very much, and it all comes from Him. God wants us to give, but the second thing we recognize is that God wants us to give properly. Like God wants us to give, give the right way. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, first part of that verse. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. Not grudgingly or of necessity. So can we, what can we walk away with from this passage of how God wants us to give? Well, the first one he wants us to give is in faithfulness, right? He wants us to give. So let each one give. Now let me ask you a question. Is there any wiggle room in there about whether we should give? It doesn't say, if you give, then here's what you do. It doesn't say, hey, if you, you know, kind of having a good week, a good month, a good year financially, you know, then, then if you give. No, it says, so let each one give. So the first idea is faithfulness. We've got to be faithful in our giving. We go back into the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 17. It tells us this, every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. Every man shall give as he is able. God expects us to be faithful in our giving. Now, here's what happens to us. Here's the problem that we find so often is we get to the place where we think, man, I can't afford to give. Man, I, I can't do it. I can't afford it. I can't pay my bills. And what that is is that's a lack of margin. What that is is that we have gotten ourselves to the point where we're so extended in spending more than we earn that we've gotten to the place where we have no margin. And that's why we, in our lives, man, we've got to get margin back. We've got to get some of that white space back, some of that place where, where we can actually breathe, right? The breathing space in our lives. That's why we offer uh, FPU, Financial Peace University, here at Thomas Road, because so many people are gripped by debt and gripped by expenses that they don't know how to give because they can't give because they've got so much going out. And that whole idea is God does not want us to live like that. 
God wants us to recognize and be faithful in what we do. It's good stewards, managers of what God has given to us that he wants us to understand we've got to have that margin. So if you're sitting here today, man, you're gripped by debt, get in one of our financial peace classes. Man, help them walk you through how to get out of that, that, that idea. So God wants us to be faithful. Second part of this passage, God wants us to give properly. He doesn't want us to give in order to be seen. Jesus taught it back in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And in that statement, basically, he says this, Do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. In other words, don't do it so people will put you on a pedestal. Don't be the kind of person to give so that everybody will celebrate you. Because that's not really giving of the right spirit, right? That's giving so you can get, like, look at me, look how awesome I am. God says, if you're going to give, don't even let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. You say, what does that mean? Here's what that means. That means you give for the right reasons. You give the reason of idea of, man, I want to bless someone because God has blessed me and I don't want anything in return. Man, don't put my name up there. Don't celebrate me. Don't talk about me because it's not about me and it shouldn't be about you because guess what? You didn't own it to begin with. So God doesn't want us to give to be seen. God also in this passage tells us that he doesn't want us to give because we've been manipulated. Look in that passage of verse 7 where it says, uh, not of uh, necessity. Now that statement there, that Greek word necessity there is the Greek word anonke, which literally means pressure. So in other words, we're not to give because we've been pressured to give. Now this is so important because there are churches today, there are preachers today that will stand on stages like this one and they will look out at their audiences, they will tell you, you better give or you're a heathen. You better give right now. Right now, I want you to come down. How much are you going to give me? And they will pressure and pressure and manipulate. Sometimes they will stretch the truth to give people to give. Sometimes they'll get to the place where they'll make people feel guilty if they don't give. And let me just tell you what that is. That is a sin before God for a preacher to do that. That is a sin before God for anyone to give, to to make someone feel so pressured, so manipulated that they do it because they feel like they've got no other choice. That robs them of the ability to give with a a giving heart, that, that right kind of heart. And so it's said in this passage, man, don't give out of necessity. Don't give out of pressure. We also told in this passage, man, don't give to receive anything in return. Man, turn on the t- Christian TV any day of the week. Man, there are so many preachers out there who tell you, man, if you give to God, give $10. Send me $10, and I'm, I'm telling you, God's going to give you $100 by the end of the day. Have you ever heard that before, right? Man, you send me $10, and, and God's going to give you $100 by the end of the day. I've always wanted to see that. I wanted to call and say, hey, let me ask you a question. If I were to give $10 to a different church, would God still give me the $100? Because you recognize that preacher is really not focused on the idea and the picture of giving. That preacher is focused on the idea of, I want you to give to me. I want it to come to my church so I can control it, so that I can do something. And listen, that is not, prosperity gospel is not in God's word. Now, does that mean God doesn't bless us? Absolutely not. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But it does mean that if all we're focused on, man, I want to give to get... That's the wrong kind of heart. Go to Vegas. You have better chances, right? I mean, don't, don't do that kind of stuff. So we give. God wants us to give. But God wants us to give properly. Now, the next thing we learn from this passage is this. God wants us to give with the right heart. The rest of that verse in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7 says this. For God loves a cheerful giver. Now, you know, you probably heard this before, that Greek word, that idea of cheerful is the Greek word uh, hilaros, which literally is where we get our term, our phrase, hilarious. 
So in other words, God loves hilarious givers. God loves givers who are like blown away by the opportunity to give. Like they just love to give. Like it's just awesome. Now that does not mean that when the offering plate comes by, you're so excited about giving that it's so hilarious that when you put the money in that you just start laughing out loud. That's not the whole point. It's the joy that's found in our heart because we know what God can and is going to do with our faithfulness, with our stewardship. Because God loves a cheerful giver. Reminds me of the story I heard of a family that went to church. They went to church one time. They were sitting there in the, in the room. They went through the whole service. They left the service that day. They got in the car. And as soon as they got in the car, the father's sitting there, and he's complaining about everything. He said, man, the music was too loud, and I didn't like those new songs. And that preacher, he, man, he preached too long. The sermon went way too long. I got hungry. And somebody was sitting in my seat when I walked in this morning. We had to sit somewhere else. And I had to park all the way at the end of the parking lot because they didn't save me a seat. I uh, saved me a parking place right up by the building. I mean, I just can't believe how bad it was. And that young son in the back seat spoke up and said, yeah, dad, but man, you got to admit, that's a pretty good show for a dollar. In other words, the son saw the father put a dollar bill on the offering plate when it went by, right? So, you gotta be, so here's what we do. We recognize that when we are not giving, our natural human condition is this, is that we don't appreciate the things of God. We don't appreciate the work that God is doing. So that's why this passage says God loves a cheerful giver, a giver whose heart is full, a giver who loves the opportunity of blessing other people. No question. It's not all about us. It's about others. So God wants us to give, and He wants us to give properly, and He wants us to give with the right kind of heart. And what will God do in response? Well, here's what God does. God uh, responds to our giving. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, the next verse before the one we've been looking through. In this verse, it says this, but this I say, Paul writes, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, when you look at that word sparingly there, when he sows sparingly, it's the Greek word phedomenos, uh, which literally means limited or scant, like just a little, like, like just a small little portion, like just a small little bit. Now, let, let's just look at the faithfulness of God here. So what it says here, that if you're not a faithful giver, if you're like sowing or giving sparingly, guess what God will still do? God will still bless you. Yeah, you'll still get a blessing, but man, it's just a limited blessing. Just a little blessing, just a little scant blessing. But look what it goes on to say. But he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That Greek word there is the Greek word eulogia, which literally means a big, generous gift. That's what that passage means. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, it says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The love of money is the root of all evil. In other words, when you care more about the gift than you do the giver of that gift, God blessing you, it changes your heart. And it pulls you away from what God expects and what He intends for you. It gets you to the place where you begin to actually have a heart that runs towards greed. John Rockefeller lived back in the uh, late 1800s and the early 1900s. He was the first American millionaire. Do you know that? At the age of 23 years old, he'd already made his first million. By the time he was 50, he was a billionaire by the time of 50 years old. In fact, in 2019 dollars, you know how much he would have been worth? He would have been worth 409 
billion dollars. I don't know if you saw this week that there's like this big competition going on between uh, Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates. Like, of which, who's going to be the richest man in the world? Like, one's $110 billion, one's $109 billion, and they keep going back and forth depending on the stock market. John Rockefeller blows them all away. He was worth $409 billion. At 50 years old, a billionaire. But what's interesting is that about three years later, when he was 53 years old, he became very sick. He became very sick, and he'd been a man who was all about the money, all about making and getting and holding it back, and he wanted to get richer and richer and richer. He got to the place that he got sick, and, and the doctors have told him that probably you're not going to survive this. You're not going to make this. You're probably going to die from this sickness. And man, he got angry. He got upset. Here he was, the richest man in the world, and, and he couldn't control anything. He couldn't even control his own health. One day he woke up and Somehow in the middle of that night, he had a dream that changed the whole life destiny for himself. He woke up that next day and he just started thinking about, man, I can't control everything that I have, so maybe I need to recognize that I need to give some of this away. And so as he was nearing death, you know what he started doing? He started coming up with the idea, man, I, I want to start giving money away. So he called his accountants, his lawyers, and his managers in, and he said, listen, I want to take my money, and I want to start blessing like hospitals and schools and, and universities. I want to do mission work. He was a Sunday school teacher. I want to do missions work around the world. And so they came up with the idea of how to give money away. And in fact, that's how the John, Re John Rockefeller Foundation began uh, way back when he was about 54, 55 years old. And he thought, man, it's all over, so I just want to watch my money be used for good. He wanted to watch it go away as he died. But you know, something weird happened. What happened is just this, is that he began giving away, and, and something happened inside of him as he began finding the joy of giving. And what ended up happening is a man that the doctor said that you're going to die pretty quick. Well, what ended up happening is this, he died two months shy of his 98th birthday. He lived till the age of 97 and 10 months. And he said it till the day he died, that he knows that he lived that long because he got to the place where he recognized, man, giving is far, more, far better than getting. And so he just gave, and he gave, and God blessed, and God blessed. Man, we've got to get to the place in our lives where we recognize the importance of giving. Now, you know I'm not a preacher who gets up here and asks you for money all the time. I'm not a guy who gets up here and beats you over the head, man, send me money, send me. I never do that stuff. I mean, we, take, we receive an offering here every Sunday. We're faithful in that, that it's important. We recognize Jesus said, yes, you better tithe. Yes, you should do that. Yes, we should. And I believe with all my heart, every person in this room ought to be a faithful giver and ought to be a tither. Ought to be someone who tithes that 10% of all that God has blessed them with. In the month of December, I'm going to be asking you to help us as a church to plant uh, 600 churches in 2020 around the world. It's going to take us about $180,000. We've done this before. And man, I'm, I'm going to be asking you in the month of December, $300, we'll plant a church somewhere around the world, Nepal, India, Guatemala, and uh, Mexico, somewhere in South America, maybe in, in Benin or in Burundi, uh, in places in Africa, $300. And I'm going to be asking you to give. Why? Because giving is such a blessing. In 2020... We're going to start our year with a, a sermon series where we're going to be talking about and expecting God to do so much more in 2020 than He ever has in our past. Ephesians 3.20, that our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. And that's what we're asking God to do. And I'm asking every single one of you in 2020, man, be a giver. 
absolute man, be a person who ties and goes beyond, a person who gives because that is what God expects. Now, I know some of you might be sitting there saying, well, man, why is he asking us for money? I'm not asking you for money. Here's what I'm asking you for, faithfulness. I'm asking you to get to the place where you're doing as Christ has told us to do, to get to the place where you recognize it is important that we do just as Jesus has commanded. And here's why. Because the scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I want every single one of us, our hearts to be fixed on God. And they can't be fixed on God when our hearts are fixed on stuff. Our hearts can't be fixed on God when our hearts are fixed on money. Last week I was down in Florida. I was down in South Florida for a meeting with some church planters. We're talking about doing some things in India. And as I was in that meeting, uh, the morning before the meeting, I, I, I drove down the coastline. Jason Schoenfelder, one of our pastors, and, and I were together. and We, we drove up the coastline uh, up through West Palm Beach. We went by Mar-a-Lago, which was the, you know, the, the president's um, place down there. By the way, we drove in. We didn't get caught. It was really cool. Didn't get arrested. We drove through and nobody even stopped us. It was kind of amazing. No, I'm not telling you to do that, but just very clear. But yeah, we did. But we drove through there and we passed house after house after house. It were like just incredible mansions. And so while we were driving, Jason was on his phone. He was pulling up like, like what this house looked like, the Zillow or whatever real estate thing. Like this house. This house was like $48 million. And this one, oh, it sold a couple weeks ago for $36 million. And one down here was like $52 million. And we're riding up, and we went. And literally, for 40 miles, we drove by these houses that were all tens, 20, 30, 40, $50 million. And it hit me as I was driving that road. God has already given to us every resource that we could ever need to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We often find ourselves in the place where we say, God, would you please give us the resources so that we can reach the world? And I'll bet you God is sitting up there saying... I already did. You're just not giving it. I already gave it. It's in your bank account. I already gave it. It's in your pocket. Because we're not being faithful in giving. Man, we want to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the only way I believe that's going to happen is when we are willing to allow ourselves to get to the place when stuff doesn't have us, when we recognize it's all God's, let's use it to change the world. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for the blessings that you pour out in our lives. Lord, we thank you that you've already told us that you'll open the windows of heaven, the, the floodgates of heaven to bless us. God, we thank you for that. And God, I pray that right now in this moment, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts because God, I know that there are people here today that are saying, wait a minute though, but I, I, I just don't know, should I give? Should I be a giver? God, you've already answered the question. The answer is yes, but God, I just pray that you would, pray that you would get our hearts in the place where we would not only be a person who gives, but we don't give grudgingly. We don't give under pressure. We give because we love to give because of what it does for you, for the kingdom, and what it does for us. God, help us all be there. God, I pray right now, Lord, as the ultimate example of giving, because you gave your son Jesus to die for us, God, I pray that we would use that as an example in our lives. God, that we would recognize you gave Jesus because we had nothing left. We had no hope, no way to find heaven, God. So you gave your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. He rose again. 
And God, as a result of that one gift, it changes everything. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts right now. Lord, help us if there's someone here today that has never received that gift. God, help this to be the day, Lord, that they're changed by the gift that Jesus is. With their heads bowed and with their eyes closed, our team is going to be here in the front. And we're going to stand in a moment. We're going to sing together. And as we do, man, I'm asking you, if you're here today and you're a person that has never received the gift that Jesus came to give, the gift of salvation, the gift that clearly tells us that God loves us, that Christ died for us, that he rose again for us. And Romans 10, by believing that he is that son of God, that he did die and that he rose again for us, that we can be saved. If you're here today and you're not in a place where you have made that decision, man, I I hope today that you will. I hope today that you'll come down in a moment to this altar and allow one of our team members to, to share with you the gift that is Jesus. God's the ultimate giver. and God today wants you to be blessed by that gift. Maybe you're here today and you're a person that is a Christian, but man, you've been, you've been kind of greedy, kind of stingy, not only with your, your resources, your money, but with your time, with your talents. Like you've been focused on self rather than using what God has already blessed you with, sharing the gospel with your neighbors, getting involved in ministering to other people, giving to maybe a missionary who needs a, a blessing to be able to carry on the work that they're doing. And you've been like just kind of holding on a little bit. Maybe today you need to come down here and get on your knees before God and say, God, thank you for what you've blessed me with, God. And I recognize it's all yours. So God, what do you want me to do? Maybe you're here, you want to join our church or come for baptism. Whatever God is speaking to you today as we stand right now and sing, the altar is open. Man, I just encourage you to respond to what God is speaking. Let's stand together and sing right now. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for joining us here today. You know, at Thomas Road Baptist Church, since our very beginning, back in 1956, we've been about one thing and one thing only, and that is to bring the message of hope that comes through Jesus Christ to the world. And today, my friends, we recognize we live in a world that's messed up. We live in a world that's full of division and conflict and pain and sorrow. But Jesus came to this world not to bring division and sorrow, but to bring joy, to bring peace to bring hope. And today, that's the message that we want to share with you. And if you're watching this and you've never had the opportunity of of connecting with him at that level, of understanding what it is that Jesus came to do, then I encourage you and I want to let you know the greatest news you'll ever hear. And that's this, God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. In fact, he gave his only son, Jesus, to come to this earth to die on the cross, to pay for your sins and for my sins, to do for us what we never could do for ourselves. What an amazing gift that really is. God loves you. Christ died for you. But three days later, he rose again. And when he came out of that grave, he gives us victory over sin, over Satan, over the grave. He gives us the hope for eternity. But according to God's word, it's very clear. What we must do is believe. We must believe that Jesus is the son of God. We must believe that he died and that he rose again. And if we do that, according to Romans 10, 13, anyone, that means you, it means me, it means every person that has ever lived, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I encourage you today to recognize that hope that comes through Jesus. And if you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, do so today, believing that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said that he did, calling on his name 
and it'll change everything. That is the message that we share. It's a message that we want to take to the entire world. And today I would encourage you to connect with us, maybe even financially through a gift that you can help us to take this message around the world. I encourage you today to stand with us as we stand with truth, as we stand with hope to let the world know God loves.